Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 15, Phyllis's Wedding. And in this episode, the employees go to Phyllis's wedding. Bad Michael is the baddest of bad Michaels. And the love triangle becomes a love quadrilateral. (laughs) Sure. This episode's cold open is one that is completely unrelated from the episode itself. And it features Jim's prank. And in it, Jim is Pavlov dogging Dwight. Jim has his computer make a certain tone and every time he does so he offers Dwight an Altoid and he explains to the camera that in school they learned about this scientist that got dogs to salivate by ringing a bell and then giving them food so he like Curtis said does the same thing with Dwight and and we see this over time so they sort of change the clothes the circumstances the day until one day Jim makes his computer make that tone, and he does not offer any Altoid, but Dwight is extending his hand to get one. And then Jim gets the opportunity to say to Dwight, what are you doing? And then Dwight realizes, but doesn't realize what has happened to him, but realizes his mouth tastes really bad, and he's got kind of a buildup of saliva. And so I guess the experiment has worked. Yeah, this is one of those pranks of Jim's that is one of the a long con and it pretty much comes just from jim's boredom like he this is not a teach dwight a lesson prank it's just uh well i'm bored what can i do for sure as we get into the episode it starts out bad michael bad michael is here the entire episode and that is why this is curtis's least favorite it is pretty rough. It opens with Phyllis's wedding photographer taking some pictures of her and her family. It appears that she has three or four sisters and they are her bridesmaids. And so they're kind of standing in front. And the problem is Michael has inserted himself in the photo. He has really decided, and we'll touch on this throughout the episode, that he has to be an important factor in Phyllis's wedding. Phyllis is getting married, and I am in the wedding party. She has asked me to push her father's wheelchair down the aisle, so basically I am co-giving away the bride. Since I pay her salary, it is like I am paying for the wedding, which I'm happy to do. It's a big day for Phyllis, but it's an even bigger day for me. Employer of the bride. So, as Antoinette said, and as Michael makes it very clear here, Michael will be a focal point throughout this entire episode, but not because he's supposed to, but because he thinks he should be and he wants to be. And forces himself to be. Exactly, yes. Michael in this episode is very much a child that wants everybody to be paying attention to him and when people aren't he basically throws a tantrum the sad thing is we learn more about michael's background michael is how old do we think he is nearly 40 i would say probably a little over 40 yeah he says that believe it or not he's only ever attended one other wedding before Phyllis's. I do believe that, Michael. Very much so. So the sad fact is Michael does not have a big family then. He does not have friends. He doesn't have friends from college that would have invited him to their wedding. And to really further complicate matters and to make a sad fact even sadder, his one wedding experience involves his mother's remarriage to his stepdad, Jeff. The audience gets a clip of Michael's mom and stepdad's wedding. And Michael has clearly not processed the fact that his mother is remarrying. We never hear about Michael's dad throughout the run of this show. But Michael, as a, I think, 12-year-old, is very upset that his mom is getting married again. He has wet his pants and 
is having some difficulties walking down the aisle to be the ring bearer. So if we're looking at it from like a psychological perspective, a lot of adult Michael's pushing to be a focal point of Phyllis's wedding is maybe to sort of rectify his childhood trauma of his mom's remarriage. Another way we see Michael kind of interjecting himself into places he does not belong is when he goes into kind of the dressing room that Phyllis is in as she is getting ready just to kind of talk to her and as if he was like the mother of the bride or the maid of honor, like to kind of talk to Phyllis about any last minute jitters that she has. Yeah, and Phyllis, to her credit, sort of remains calm during this time and is just really trying to get through this and get Michael out, but it's just an awkward interaction and Michael doesn't know what to say and it's just, it's just weird. Yeah, he's trying very, very hard to kind of be the the star of this wedding, if you will. When he sees Phyllis in this room, he says, you look as beautiful as the day you started at Dunder Mifflin. And Phyllis is like, that's very sweet. And it was also very sweet when you said it to me outside. Yeah, he just is coming up with these weird platitudes. And like Curtis said, he wants to be the star here. It's it's just weird and tough and too much. Yeah. He also tries to talk to Phyllis about the wedding night activities, if you will, and asks her if she's sold on the hairstyle that she has, which in this case isn't like isn't isn't that big of a deal because Phyllis's hair isn't too complicated here, but in any normal circumstance, the bride has probably been up since about six o'clock in the morning to go have that hair done. And they spent like two to three hours in a chair having this elaborate hairstyle done. So mm-hmm. in a normal case, yeah, there's no way that hair is changing at the last minute. Yes. And Phyllis has shorter hair, so it's not in an updo or anything, but Again, just an insertion by Michael that is unnecessary. And so the big moment comes. Phyllis is in the back of the church uh, with her dad, and Michael is preparing to push Phyllis's dad down the aisle with Phyllis walking beside them. And Michael here is just almost like word vomit. He's just talking about how nervous he is, and he's just like, here we go. Here's the big moment. And he's like talking himself up. Like he's like, all right, time to make my debut at this wedding. And he just says like, he's going to be great and he's going to do it better. And no one's really looking yeah, at Yeah, he him. bags on like a six-year-old kid who's the ring bearer. And he's just like, I could have done that better. Yeah. And I will do it better. Yeah, I'm going to be so great. And he doesn't realize maybe because he's never been to a wedding that no one's going to be looking at him. No one else really knows him but for the other Dunder Mifflin people. And we hear from Phyllis, the only reason she has given Michael this sort of position of honor, this task to do in the in the first place, is just so that she can get extra vacation time for her honeymoon. She's going to get six weeks in total for her honeymoon, which is a really long vacation. And she probably was able to sweet talk Michael into that by saying, you're going to do this big job. It's going to be so important. And then she had to hype him up and then he took that in. So the, the Michael's big moment comes and he is walking Phyllis and Phyllis's dad down the aisle. And about halfway down the aisle, Phyllis's dad kind of puts the brakes on the wheelchair and is trying to stand up. And and Michael is doing his best to not let that happen. Yeah, he pushes him back down. Yeah, he pushes the wheelchair forward a little bit more. He literally pulls him back down into the seat until Phyllis's dad relents enough. And he walks Phyllis down the aisle 
on his own power. Yes. And it's a big moment. Everyone claps. Everyone else is there watching the wedding realizes what a moment this is. And Michael is just distraught. He turns to the camera and says that this is bullshit. And he is furious. So instead of kind of maybe just quietly pushing the chair to allow Phyllis's dad to sit back down once they reach the altar, Michael does not take the brakes off, keeps them on, and sort of drags the chair very noisily down the rest of the aisle. And he does it in a sort of march fashion, so he's still keeping this sort of um, pace to, to his aisle walk. Yeah, he's doing it in a way that nobody actually walks down the wedding aisle, but it's kind of like almost a TV slash movie trope where you take one step forward and then you bring your take your next step basically is your Your feet feet come together together, and then you take another step forward and your feet together. Michael is walking down the aisle, dragging this wheelchair along with him exactly like this. And once he gets to the front, which again is a very noisy affair, he shoves into the line of groomsmen, which he probably wasn't supposed to be there at all. I'm going to guess he was supposed to take a seat in one of the uh, first couple rows. So the very last groomsman is sort of pushed back so Michael can get in. Yeah, Michael doesn't even like just throw himself at the end of the line. He pushes himself between the last groomsman and the second to last groomsman. Following this, we see more evidence that Michael hasn't been to a wedding in a while because as the priest is reading the vows and things like that, he says to Phyllis, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? She says, I do. And Michael bursts out and says, now for the first time ever, Mr. and Mrs. Bob Vance. He has to be the one to do it. Like, he has to beat the officiant to it. But turns out Bob has not said his vows yet and agreed to enter into marriage with Phyllis. And everyone's like, what is happening with this weird guy? Hopefully Phyllis gave a primer to the sort of important guests at the wedding as to like, hey, there's going to be a weirdo there. It's just my boss. Don't worry about it. So then the priest reads the same thing to Bob. And after Bob says, I do, Michael does the exact same thing all over again and is the first to announce the couple. And everybody claps this time. And so again, this is like feeding Michael's ego because it's kind of like the episode of Dwight's speech where Michael goes out into the office and says, hey, everybody, you're getting a $1,000 raise. And everybody's excited and everybody cheers. And Michael thinks that he just makes this great speech. And he his words were what moved people when really they're just happy they're getting a $1,000 raise. And so in this situation, everybody's clapping because that's what you do in this situation. But Mike right. is feeding into Michael's ego. just like, oh, I made this presentation of the couple. They're clapping because I did that. Yeah, it was this amazing, wonderful moment. In the receiving line, Michael is still really salty that Phyllis's dad got up to walk her down the aisle. And he's like, oh, I see you're sitting down now. I bet you can hear me too. So just really over-the-top rudeness about this. Also in the receiving line, Angela just cannot help herself with being a terrible, judgmental person. And she says to Phyllis that her, you know, she looks beautiful, congratulations, but your dress is white. So white, it's blinding my eyes. I think as as a sort of slight to say, you shouldn't be wearing white. Yeah. Definitely. So we get to the reception and everybody is sitting around. Everybody's, you know, having a good time as people do at wedding receptions. And we see that Kevin's band, Scrantonicity, is playing this wedding. And he says that 
This is not their first wedding, it's their third, but those other two weddings happen to be the weddings of other band members. So they don't have a ton of experience in playing weddings. Before they get started in playing, he makes an announcement that Uncle Al is missing and that his family is very worried about him and if anybody sees him to please let the family know. And they are, they are worried about Uncle Al because he has Alzheimer's. Right. We, as the viewing audience, know where Uncle Al is, or at least what happened to him, because Dwight has taken it upon himself to remove Uncle Al from the wedding, thinking that he is a wedding crasher. He has this idea because as they were walking into the wedding ceremony, he says, as just kind of an aside to Jim, that there are too many people at this wedding, and there's too many people on earth, and they just need another plague. And Jim says to Dwight that, you know what, I bet some of these people are wedding crashers, and I wish I had the time to investigate who those wedding crashers are. And this, of course, sparks Dwight in saying, I'll take care of that. So that's how we get to this point to where Dwight has removed Uncle Al from the wedding. And Dwight kicked him out because Uncle Al, as someone who has memory problems, really didn't know what was happening and couldn't tell Dwight how he knew Phyllis or Bob. And so Dwight just sent him on his way, unnecessarily so here. Right. Before we really get into the dancing and the dinner, we get some speeches. We see the tail end of the best man speech um, in which the best man just says that Phyllis is a great bowler and a great woman. And then Michael steals the microphone. This is also a really uncomfortable, unnecessary part by Michael here. Because he's, as Michael's talking, it seems like he's giving a whole bunch of disjointed speeches and they don't really go together. And he's starting over each time. He's sort of introducing himself. And as he does a one-on-one with a camera, we learn why he's doing this. The most important part of a speech is the opening line. When time is not a factor, I like to try out three or four different ones. My favorite part here is the phrase, if time isn't an issue. Because if you've ever been to a wedding, there are times when, it depends on the speech, but there are times when as the speech is going on, you're like, okay, let's let's wrap this up. Like, it's starting to drag out a little bit. And Michael introduces himself saying that for the next 40 minutes, I will be your tour guide on the, the life of Bob Vance and Phyllis. My other favorite one is when he says that Webster's Dictionary defines wedding as the melting of two metals together which is probably welding yeah uh so just just some solid uh takeaways that i myself have have used um before curtis you and i have been to a number of weddings together and then you have been to a number of weddings uh before you and i started dating we've seen our fair share of speeches And we've seen some not great ones over the years. Unfortunately, like you said, a lot of them come down to uh, time. They're very lengthy and rambling. There's no sort of cohesive point. For sure. I will say that for the majority of the weddings I've been to, the best man speech is usually better than the maid of honor speech. Curtis does say that often. Some of this is unfair to the maid of honor. I will admit that because we as a society have put men in a unemotional box. Sure. Not allowed to show or feel or give any emotion. Sure. And so when you see a the groom's brother or their lifelong friend or whomever 
make this speech that is, you know, heartfelt and maybe emotional. It doesn't matter how long it is and it doesn't matter how like maybe seemingly bad it is. Best man gets points already. It's too easy. I've literally seen a speech that was maybe 90 seconds long. And it's one of the best, best man speeches I've ever seen because it literally was your, you're my big brother. I've always looked up to you and I really appreciate that everything that you do for me. I'm really glad to have so-and-so as a sister and I hope you guys are really happy. Cheers. That was it. And so it's one of those things, like I said, that it's very, it was very clearly from the heart. And any other speech, like any other time that somebody said that as a speech, would be like, uh, all right, cool. But like in the moment, it's just this, oh, wow, that was really nice. He did such a good job. For sure. That, and usually, for the most part, I've never seen someone not care when they're giving their wedding toast. What it comes down to is people's speech giving abilities. For sure. However, I do think sometimes that I've seen a lot of maid of honor speeches where they just try and be too funny and a lot of stuff just doesn't land. We've seen some gimmicks. Yeah. And it's just, it's painful to watch. And again, I, this might be another kind of stereotypical thing because guy humor is a lot of just playful ribbing like just bagging on somebody and so you get that a lot in a lot of best man speeches right and so it is funny and then they tie it in at the end with but hey you've already you've always been there for me blah 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 and it's very nice sometimes that just doesn't seem to work for some, for whatever reason it is maybe because that's just not typical girl humor yeah. i guess is that it just doesn't land. It doesn't feel as natural when the maid of honor is playfully ribbing the bride. Yeah, I haven't seen that very often. And so a lot of times that I've seen what it comes down to is inside jokes. Right. That the maid of honor is essentially telling all these people about the bride and nobody there gets it. Right, or it's just sort of like wild stories from back in the day that's not very super appropriate or what someone wants to like remember at their wedding. It's tough. It's very tough to give a good wedding toast, whether you are the best man, maid of honor, or just someone that's been asked to give um, a toast. Curtis has done a really good job. Um, at weddings before he's given a very nice best man speech and he was an officiant uh, for a wedding. I have given one maid of honor speech um, in my life. I anticipate I will only ever give one more and that will probably be enough for me. You did very well as well. Oh, thanks. But we have seen both the maid of honor and best men give very, very bad speeches. Like we, I'm no, not, no fault of I'm theirs. not trying to single anybody out, yeah. but like there was one wedding we went to that there were two maids of honor or whatever. And both speeches sounded like they were literally just pulled off of the internet. It yeah, was very sort of unpersonal. Insert bride's name yeah. here. And, and again, if you're not a good speech maker, you have to sort of do what you can. Yeah. We get it. And the best man speech was not much better. It essentially it came rough. down to we work together and that's cool. It was rough. Yeah, that was a rough go. Again, sometimes just it's not going to be movie magic at, uh, at every wedding there. But Michael's speech making gets him kicked out of phyllis and bob's wedding yeah bob has had enough at one point because michael starts to go into phyllis's high school life and reveals that phyllis's nickname in high school 
was Easy Rider, and it is at this point that Bob has had enough. Yes. Takes the mic from Michael and kicks him out of the wedding. Dwight has been given the task of bouncing Michael whenever he attempts to come back in. And he takes it very seriously. And Michael does attempt to come back in. Again, this is just this big moment for Michael. And really, once Michael's gone, the rest of the wedding seemingly goes without a hitch. The band starts playing. People start dancing. And the camera crew, rightfully so, is very focused on the interactions of our Dunder Mifflinite. We do still get some shots of Michael outside, kind of outside looking in. And we see him sitting outside on a bench. And he is joined by Uncle Al. And he's just having this talk with him. And Michael doesn't really get it. Michael doesn't recognize that Uncle Al is a bit senile. And so he is talking to Uncle Al and kind of espousing all of his problems. And Uncle Al is probably giving nonsense responses to Michael. And Michael's just kind of going along with it and continuing on with the conversation. Mm -hmm. And it is at this moment that the festivities on the inside wrap up and everybody is coming outside in another movie slash TV wedding trope that doesn't yeah. actually happen where the bride and groom leave the reception with their cheering guests behind them and they get into a car and they presumably they go right off to their honeymoon from there. And Michael confronts Phyllis and is like, I just want to tell you, I'm very sorry. I was just very excited about this day, blah, 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 blah. And Phyllis realizes that Michael has been sitting next to Uncle Al, and she says, oh, you found him. Thank you very much. She gives him a kiss on the cheek and takes off. And Michael takes this as forgiveness, and has he has done what he set out to, and he saves the day here in his he mind. Does. Yeah, it's unfortunate because, yeah, Michael gets the hero of the day in his mind. And this is, this is Michael in a nutshell for the rest of this series in that he spends his time pissing everybody off, doing the wrong things, messing everything up, and then things kind of happen around him, not because of him, and he gets the credit for succeeding mm -hmm. here because he didn't find Uncle Al. He didn't go out and find him. He just... Uncle Al just happened to show back up. Yeah, he just happened to be sitting, talking to some guy, telling him how his, he just wanted to do right by Phyllis, and he was so excited. He just was talking to whoever would listen. Yes, so Michael is the hero of the day despite his actions and not because of his actions. Mm -hmm. Curtis, to me, it's a little confusing as to who from the Dunder Mifflin office got invited to this wedding. Yes, we see pretty much everybody from the upstairs part of the office. Yeah, no Andy, since he's at anger management. Right. Creed makes a very brief appearance. It appears that he shows up late to switch out a card on a present from that was given from somebody else. So he essentially takes credit for this gift. And that's the only time we ever see him. But everybody else we see little clips of here and there. Yes, we get a brief shot of Oscar. Angela and Dwight uh, are attending together, but not together sort of thing. They're still keeping it under wraps. We do see them dancing outside together at one point. Ryan and Kelly have come together. Jim and Karen... Toby has brought a date, which uh, looks like just a young woman he met at the gym. And Kelly, no. But what confuses me most is that Roy is the only person from the warehouse that gets invited. Yeah, we don't see Daryl at all or any of the other kind of no-name people from the warehouse. So it seems as though this might be for plot convenience. Throughout the episode, Pam has been telling the camera crew that there's a lot of familiar things to her about this wedding. 
the invitations are the exact same as what she picked out for her wedding to Roy. As she arrives, the flowers are the exact same. As Phyllis is walking down the aisle, Pam turns to the camera and says, that's my dress, which that is surprising to me. I did not love that dress personally. We knew that Roy had hired Grantonicity to play the reception. We know that uh, Roy and Pam had chicken or fish to choose from after they canceled the wedding. So it seems as though Phyllis has sort of just decided that she likes the template, she likes the look and everything that Pam was going for, and she sort of just adapted it because also Pam and Roy, P and R, Phyllis and Robert, P and R. So I'm going to guess that maybe Phyllis called up all of Pam's vendors right after the cancellation and was like, hey, I want to go with all that. But it's not the exact same date, though, because that date has already passed. Right. So at the reception, Roy walks up to Pam and just tries to reconnect with her. And he says, you know, you may not remember this, but... These flowers that Phyllis picked out, they're the ones that I gave you for our prom. And Pam just sort of looks at him and is like, Roy, yeah, I know that. I picked these flowers. This was our wedding. Because Roy's like, this is really nice. I don't really notice this stuff. This is nice. And, and Pam is sort of incredulous here, as she should be. But not enough. She's not incredulous enough. Because Roy's like, oh, I'm sorry. I guess I didn't really pay attention. Pam's like, no, it's okay. So they sort of end the interaction with Roy saying, this must be hard for you. And I'm the one that really wanted to get married. Because Pam's the one that called it off. Yes. Antoinette is fired up because we get a lot of kind of stereotypical things in this very limited interaction. So Roy saying he's the one that wanted to get married kind of says to me, well, he wanted to get married in the sense that he was the one that proposed. Right, and then had to propose again because he didn't want to set a date for the wedding. Yeah, and another issue that Antoinette has here, I'm sure, is the fact that Pam pretty much did the driving, and Roy was just supposed to show up. Right. Could have been anybody. He just had to show up on the right day at the right time, which, as I've said on this podcast before, is how the wedding industry treats the grooms anyway. I know I've said it on here that I included a line for Curtis's name on some of the contracts that we signed, And Curtis did have opinions, rightfully so, because it was also his wedding. And then when I would say that, people would like, people would say, well, why does Curtis care? Like, Curtis couldn't care about the look or the feel or something that was beyond the beer we are going to serve or the music that was going to be playing. Of note, though, I did pretty much choose all the music that was played at our wedding. Like verbatim, he gave a playlist to our DJ. Correct. The trouble with this Roy and Pam reconnection comes in because Jim and Pam also have a sort of reconnection. Last episode, if you remember, they were having some really awkward interactions in the break room. Didn't really know what to say to each other. But sort of being out of the office and I think in a different uh, location, a different situation, has thawed the relations a little bit. And Jim asked Pam, you know, when are we going to get to see these famous Beasley dance moves? And Pam's like, oh, I don't know. She's sort of hemming and hawing. And Jim's like, you got to give the people what they want. Pam's response is, well, I'm such a dorky dancer. To which Jim says, yes, I know, and it's very cute. And it's just this moment between them, this sort of actual honesty from Jim. And then we get... Albeit a, accidental. Right. Then we get a interview with Jim to the camera crew, and he says, you know, hypothetically, if I thought that Pam was available and interested, you know, and he sort of trails off. So we know what's happening here. But that doesn't mean that... Jim and Pam aren't 
still acting in their normal ways. We see a shot of Jim and Karen out on the dance floor and they're talking to each other and they're laughing and generally having a good time. And Pam is watching them from the table and just does that thing where she just can't take it anymore and she gets up and she walks away. Yeah, it's really hurting her. And as Pam is walking away, she and Jim make eye contact and Jim's face just drops like he stops having a good time. Later in the episode. A few moments later. Pam is kind of standing off to herself. A few moments later, Pam is kind of standing off to the side by herself, and Roy comes over and says, Huh, isn't it weird that they're playing this song because it's our song? And Pam's like, Yeah, I thought they only played police songs. And their song is by Jewel. You were meant for me. You were meant for me by Jewel. And Roy's like, Yeah, I paid him 20 bucks to play the song. Roy, I'm going to interject here a second. Roy is taking advantage of the situation here, and it really hacks me off. He knows Pam is sort of probably going to be feeling away now that he's figured out that this is their wedding. He has also sort of worn Pam down over time. Like, she has tried to keep this respectable distance between them since calling off the wedding. And he's made it clear that, you know, he's going to win her back. He cares about her still. All the things he should have been doing during their, I mean, what, eight-year-long, ten-year-long relationship? Mm -hmm. And it's suddenly going to do now because Pam has left. But Pam does not, you know fight the fight here and she gives in and relents and she goes outside to dance with Roy. So this is a little clandestine. So they go outside, they're dancing to their song and then Roy says, hey, do you want to get out of here? And Pam agrees. So she goes back inside, she goes to get her coat and as she is walking out, she walks past the bar where Jim happens to be standing. And she meets up with Roy, and they leave together holding hands. And Jim, of course, notices this, and again, just kind of sours. Yeah, crestfallen, like, what is she doing? But he has a right to be disappointed. Like, granted, he's with Karen here. He's with Karen. But he has to be thinking, what does this guy have that you're willing to be treated like garbage, but then still be fine with it, still go back. So Pam's kind of an idiot here. Now, I again, it is easier said than done. The situation, I'm sure she's had some glasses of wine or champagne, wedding ambiance, the sadness, somebody's there. Yeah. And it is after this moment that we get a one-on-one with Jim And mirroring the statement that he said earlier about the hypothetical situation of he and Pam together, he says, but you know what isn't a hypothetical situation? I'm really glad I'm with Karen. And it is right after this that we see Karen on stage performing every little thing she does is magic with the band, just having a good time. And Jim is there, like, just looking at her kind of in amazement like Mm -hmm. look how fun she is he's playing along with her everything like that she is super fun i would never do that and so it is one it's just it is the same thing that we have seen over and over again and in my mind we will continue to see as this season continues and in very certain spots where it's like why is jim so i I get like old feelings are are hard to drop, but why is Jim so 
obsessed with Pam, who, in my opinion, kind of dull, kind of boring. And then you have Karen, who seems like a whole lot of fun. And he's just like, eh, whatever. I don't, who's this? I mean, part of it is about connection, but we've sort of hit on this before. He doesn't even give Karen and his relationship with Karen a fighting chance. Absolutely. He's always looking for the possibility with Pam, trying to take the temperature of Pam's feelings towards him. And it just, you're going to torpedo a relationship with that. This episode ends with something that we forgot to mention earlier, and it is more Bad Michael. And it is a shot from earlier on in the day during the reception where Bob and Phyllis are feeding each other cake. And again, in the stereotypical trope, they smash in each other's faces. And Michael is there the whole time, like from a little bit from afar, but like the only person standing and like front and center for this. And he's just like, oh, oh, watch out. Don't, Don't do it. And then they smash it in his face and he's like, oh yeah. And he, he grabs a napkin and he tries to clean Phyllis's face off. And then he's like, no, oh, now, now me, now do me. And then he takes piece, a piece of the cake on his own and like smears it on his face. Again, just over the top, annoying. And I've said it before. I'll say it again now and I'll say it again later. Why does anybody like him? Why does anybody put up with him? Phyllis should never speak to him ever again after this day. I agree. Like, typically it's not the boss of the bride that's sort of trying to shove their way into where they don't belong with the wedding. Uh, Typically that's a little bit of a closer relation, but this is terrible to a degree that Everyone there should be like, never invite Michael to a wedding ever again. Yeah. And it's not like... This is embarrassing. This is... That's like a story. Yeah. That's a story. Yeah. That would be a story that you tell to every... Before every wedding you go to. If anybody ever says, oh, yeah, when you're like, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I went to this wedding. Oh, man, let me tell you about this wedding I went to one time where this guy was crazy and he tried to make a speech and he dragged a wheelchair down the aisle and he put cake on his face. But it's one of those things where why why do people put up with this? Because as we have seen with Michael, he he holds this power, but he doesn't know what to do with it and he's afraid to use it. So it's not like if anybody was ever like, no, Michael, I'm not going to let you do this. I'm not going to let you be an idiot. Right. And I'm going to stand up to you here. He's not going to fire him. True, we know he can do that. But I don't know, it's TV magic sort of thing. It's the, oh, you know, the aw shucks, poor Michael, forgive and forget. But he's not poor Michael. He never is poor Michael. Well, that's true too. So with that, let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode. Just a couple of fun facts. So uh, as Dwight is pulling up to the wedding, He tells the camera crew what shoot weddings are like, and we will see that come back around in season nine. He says that shoots marry standing in their graves uh, makes the uh, wedding sort of bleak affairs. Brian Baumgartner, the actor that plays Kevin, didn't know how to play the drums. Uh, He got some drum lessons, but he found it to be pretty tough to act and sing and drum. So they did have um, a stunt musician for him. And the reason that the writers chose uh, for Scrantonicity to be a police cover band is because Kevin's voice is so low and he's so expressionless. And the complete opposite of that is the (laughs) police who sing pretty high and with a lot of expression. So they thought that would be a really funny juxtaposition. And this episode got a lot of mixed reviews, like similar to what we have just been saying about Michael. People found this to be just so like outlandish and cartoonish that it was not believable. They found it fun to take him out of the office, but the cringeworthy factor was to such a degree to where someone wrote 
that it seemed tough that Michael has ever been in society. That that just doesn't square with that. It was too over the top. Right. Curtis, I don't think we had any firings for today. Is that correct? I would agree. And that's probably pretty typical of an episode that takes place outside of the office. It's 100% outside of the office. Correct. Do you have a Dundee to give out? I do. Uh, the best contrived emergency situation goes to Kelly. She showed up to the wedding in a long white satin dress. Meredith says to her, hey, aren't you not supposed to wear white to a wedding? And Kelly's response is, yeah, I know, but I just had an emergency. Well, she tells the camera crew that the emergency is she looks really good in white, which is a quote that we used a lot in college. We had a couple weddings after college, and it was just sort of funny to say that, but she just decided that she needed to look like a bride in order to attend this wedding. And that is the worst type of wedding guest. Someone that's really going to make sure she gets all the attention. It's probably going to get super drunk, probably cry. Um, Just who you're trying to avoid if you're just trying to have a good party. This reminds me of two stories. One, there was a wedding that we have been to together. I can't remember the circumstances, but there was a girl who was seemingly close to the bridal party but was not in the bridal party but was wearing a dress that was very similarly colored to the rest of the bridal party yeah yeah i can't remember who or where we were but it definitely seemed like a oh i'm gonna show them type situation and then the other is it's a little more closely related to this. I was on a bachelor party with a friend of mine in New Orleans, and we made friends with a bachelorette party that was there, and they seemed like they were doing the typical bride in a certain color, the rest in black, except for one girl who decided to wear a white jumpsuit. And it definitely seemed like a Kelly type situation where it's just like, oh, I'm wearing this because I look good in this. Yeah, I'm going out and I'm rocking. It. Yep. I don't care what the situation is. And I asked, I remember I asked one of the bright one of the one of the bachelorette people was like, um, isn't that kind of a faux pas? And she was just like, Yeah, uh, we're not gonna talk about yeah, that. Like we we've we've already discussed it. Yeah. What is your Dundee? My Dundee is the defensive player of the year. That goes to Ryan for an amazing block he made during the bouquet toss. As Phyllis is tossing the bouquet, Kelly is front and center, ready to catch this thing. And Ryan just reaches up, swats it away from Kelly. And it goes to Toby's date. And this is another thing that it's just one of those funny things to see in media portrayed weddings because people freak out about the bouquet toss and are just all excited about it. And you and I have been to several weddings together and only one of them were people (laughs) excited for the bouquet toss and the garter toss. As we've aged into uh, the next decade of our lives, people are less enthusiastic for that because there are fewer and fewer single people as you make it through your 20s and into your 30s. And no one, I shouldn't say no one, very few people want to be reminded, hey bud, you're still single, come out to the dance floor so we can all tell you, you know, that sucks to be single. And the difference of a wedding that we recently attended, why there was such enthusiasm, was the age demographic of the crowd. Quite younger, super into it, still filled with hopes and dreams for their future. Right. So it's okay to be like, yeah, of course, I'm going to meet someone in the next year. I'm not dating anyone now, but I'm definitely getting married soon sort of thing. And yeah, that just fades with um, time. Not knocking the bouquet toss. It wasn't for us. Um, The garter toss I am knocking because of its origins. Um, but just sort of those things that 
you're kind of forcing your guests into a situation not everyone's going to be cool with. Yeah. I've been to, like, when it comes to the garter toss and the bouquet toss, single is essentially not married. Unmarried, right. Right. So, like, you could be there with your fiancé, and they're like, well, you still got, like, we need numbers, essentially. Essentially. And people, I mean, if you get some real pushy people, they're like, you have to go out there. And you're like, okay, just relax, okay? Go to the bar or something. Yes. So I have been to weddings where... No one is all that enthused about the garter toss. And I have been to a wedding where the garter literally landed <laughs> on the ground. And everybody just kind of stood and looked at it until somebody was just like, uh, all right, I'll pick it up. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, it's unnecessary to be forced. It also is, again, like I said, the origins of the garter toss. But it just sucks when you have genuine pony plane this is typically ah. like a family affair the the groom sticking his head under the dress it just turns into this super weird thing and that's where it's like people just want to dance and have a good time they've come to fet you and give them a good meal give them a good uh, a good reception if you can and limit those like must do things a little bit again this is just our opinion hold your wedding how you want to hold yours we held right. ours how we want to held uh, how we had wanted to do ours we are not judging you i am only judging the origins of the garter toss it has a lot of rapey connotations from medieval times that i don't think we should have brought in to this century I'm off the soapbox. Curtis, who is your employee of the month? My employee of the month is Bob Vance. Not just because he got married, but because he seems to be the only person that feels like they can stand up to Michael when he's being an idiot. Yes. When he takes the microphone away from Michael and kicks him out, rightfully so. But also, in the receiving line, Michael shakes Bob's hand and it's like if you ever lay a finger on her I will kill you and Bob and Michael's like like jokingly serious Bob responds with well if you ever lay a finger on her I'll kill you and he's seriously serious <laughs> yeah. like Bob clearly does not like Michael and so I am good on Bob for you know being the only one that can kind of fully admit that and fully make it known who is your employee of the month? I chose Phyllis because she maintained her poise and excitement, even through Michael's just nonsensicalness. She probably maybe knew what she was in for, but not to the full degree. Um, but she just enjoyed her wedding day, and that takes a lot of sort of letting things roll off your back. So good on her. So that does it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates and continue listening on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to us. Please like, subscribe, and comment wherever you can to continue getting our name out there. We appreciate you listening to us. We hope you're staying safe, and we will see you next time. Bye.